LeBron James is taking his talents to Los Angeles. Yes, he signed a four-year, $153.3 million deal, and he is leaving Cleveland again. What's up, everybody? It's Tim Barbalace here with my good buddy, Alex Woodward. We are the other guys. This is episode 22. Is that right? Yes, sir. 22. That's unbelievable. Flies by. All right, well, we're going to get into LeBron's decision to go to L.A., but we're also going to get in some Ravens talk as well. We're going to start breaking down a couple of position groups each podcast as we get closer and closer to the start of the NFL season. This episode, we'll be breaking down the Ravens' newly revamped wide receiving core and their tight end core, which they uh, drafted two high draft picks in there. But we will start in the association, and we will start with King James. LeBron James, he's fresh off, advancing to his eighth straight NBA Finals appearance, but he decided to opt out of his last year of his one-and-one contract with Cleveland. He was set to make close to $35 million this year, and he has decided to go out west. I mean, last week when we were talking about this, Alex, I did not think LeBron was going to go west because he's been in the Eastern Conference his whole career. Now... It's going to be hard because obviously the two big dogs in the West are the Rockets and the Warriors who just swept LeBron in the NBA Finals. And now you're going to a very young and really inexperienced Los Angeles team. They have a lot of young talent, but this is a team that hasn't made the playoffs in five consecutive seasons. So it's I find it kind of interesting that he would choose L.A. Yeah, I mean, I my initial take from that was... I kind of, you know, credit him for going out west and taking the harder path to the finals cuz I mean that hasn't that been the knock on him for most of his career is he's scared to go west. He knows if he stays in the east, he's guaranteed to go to the finals. He went to the finals 8 straight years. Uh he was in the east. Now I I think it makes it more interesting that he's in the west. Uh it does obviously weaken the east. I mean it's like God. the minor leagues at this point. The Celtics I feel like just have a cakewalk especially getting Hayward and Kyrie back. So but it's... but him going out west that takes away the whole thing of, you know, he takes the easiest route. He's actually trying to, you know, go to where there's the most competition, which is, you know, the Jordan and LeBron comparisons. Everybody compares, you know, Jordan didn't have to go around and chase rings and everything. LeBron didn't pick the best contender. No. He he met with, uh, his agent met with the people from the 76ers right before he made the decision to go to in the Lakers. In L.A. Yeah, in L.A. Um, I thought the Sixers would have made a great deal yeah. of sense. Uh, he wants to keep his kids, you know, they're at that age where they're hitting high school and they're starting to play co- uh, high school sports and go to college and everything. I thought Philly would have been a good idea because Pennsylvania is not too far away from Ohio, so that's not a bad commute. Obviously, they're the better contender choice, you know, easier path, a lot of young talent with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Um, but yeah, I mean, going out west, that was a surprise. I don't think it's a money grab because he could have had more money. Uh, he signed four years, $153 million. He could have had $160 million. Am, am I wrong on that one? Yes, and and if he would have stayed with Cleveland, he could have got the Mega Max. Now, the NBA salary cap is very confusing. I'd like to think that I'm pretty well-versed in the NFL salary cap. (laughs) Better than me. But NBA, it really throws me off. But, you know, if you stay with the team that you're with, it gives Mm -hmm. you that incentive. You can get the extra year and the extra money. But... LeBron, it's it's kind of interesting because the Lakers, they had a ton of cap space entering this offseason with $48.6 million. Uh, they also brought in Lance Stevenson. Everyone remembers him so in the Pacers, uh, Pacers-Cavs series a couple years back where he's blowing in LeBron's that was ear. That was when he was with the oh, Heat. Oh, with the Heat? Yeah, yeah that was 2010. Right. I, think it was, I mean, they've yeah. had so many run-ins. Oh, There's yeah. been one where Lance Stevenson just came up and like slapped him across the chin. Oh, it's, it's just a weird uh, He guy. flops all over the place. Um, I mean, there's just been so many instances where Lance Stevenson's whole job is to troll LeBron the entire time. And they're bringing in JaVale McGee, who got blocked at the rim. The rim had the best block of all the uh, NBA Finals. He did recreate his career, though, with the Warriors. He He got a ring. He did. I will give credit to him. And just right before the podcast started, they signed Rajon Rondo. They uh, revoked uh, Julius Randle's contract. He was a restricted free agent, signed Rondo to a one-year, $9 million deal. Rondo obviously getting up there. But the thing that's interesting is 
you're bringing in another strong personality yeah. in that yeah. locker room. You know, Rondo's been known to tear down uh, yeah, he's, locker, yeah, a, a just, locker room yeah, cancer. Exactly. Is what people just will call just him. To ask the uh, Boston Celtics. And now you still got uh, Lonzo Ball there with LeVar, his dad. That's going to be interesting to see if the Lakers end up holding on to him. Now, I think the Lakers still have another move in them. But then I'm also thinking maybe this is a two-year window because LeBron, he did sign a four-year deal. The opt-out isn't until the fourth year of the deal. So he's there for the long term. Mm -hmm. And as I said, the Lakers have money. They're looking at Boogie Cousins right now, and they're also looking at Kawhi Leonard. Now, Boogie, he's obviously a free agent. Kawhi, the Spurs would have to agree to trade him there. And I think that's why they revoked the rights to Julius Randle is to try and free up space for a trade. I mean, that that's probably a player that the Spurs would be interested in. And plus they, some picks. Yeah, absolutely. But it it you know, people have also brought this up since Kawhi is a free agent at the end of this year, maybe they just wait to sign him in 2019. That way they don't have to give up any of their young talent. So that's why I'm saying maybe this year they just they're obviously going to make the playoffs. I mean, this team could make the playoffs now just because of LeBron, but I don't know if they're going to truly contend this year unless they get another big-time talent to surround uh, LeBron there. And now, you, like I said, you do have some talent there with uh, Kuzma and Brandon Ingram, and you know Lonzo showed flashes too. But you need more pieces around LeBron and Stevenson and uh, McGee. They're both kind of journeyman guys. Uh, Rondo, he's kind of at the. End he's going to be a backup. He's yeah, gonna be no, their he, he will. He will, and he's always good at. Uh, dishing the rock if you will but yeah. you know i i don't know i i'm just they're still a ways away from competing with the rockets and the warriors and that's my biggest point maybe magic johnson he had that quote last week saying if he can't bring in talent you know in the next two years he'll step, he'll, he'll down. step down he won't get fired no, that's out of the question exactly now. <laughs> he's already bought brought lebron in but like i said they had two max contract spots remaining under their cap so I, I still think there's still another big move in them. Yeah, you mentioned uh, he, they need another superstar there for them to really compete. Yeah. I was surprised that Paul George, out of all the talks yes. over the past year and a half, when he was with the Pacers, I want to be a Laker. Well, too bad. We're sending you to the Thunder. And then he goes <laughs> to the Thunder, and he, he matches well with, with uh, Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony, who was also in his first year there. They made the playoffs. They got bounced in the first round. Uh, but, you know, ESPN ran this feature for the past like three weeks called my journey with Paul George. And all it was about was Paul George saying how bad he wants to play for the Lakers. He grew up around LA. He grew up a Lakers fan when he was a kid making the buzzer beater in his head. You know, he was wearing a Laker Jersey, not a Thunder Jersey, not a Pacers Jersey. These these are his words. That's what he said. And then after all that buildup and all this, you know, just hyping up him going to the Lakers, he's like, well, I'll go back to the Thunder. I like playing with Russ. It, it, It was so weird because especially since, a day later, LeBron signed with the Lakers. It's like, dude, PG, you could have waited a day and yeah, <laughs> like, made your decision. It is very bizarre. And you're returning because Melo, remember, he opted into his extra year because he was getting $27.9 million. Yeah, he's not getting that anywhere He wasn't else. even sniffing anywhere close to that. So he kind of really hamstrung the uh, Thunder's offseason, really. And now you go out, you spend uh, big money for Paul George. They already locked up Russ uh, last year, I believe, to a mega contract. And I just think they kind of are what they are, the Thunder. You know, it's I think they're a good team, and I think they're probably around the 5-4-3 seed somewhere there. But they're clearly a couple steps below the Rockets and the Warriors, and they're going to return. You know, they got Roberson. And they got Stephen Adams. Stephen Adams is a good piece. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's. I just don't know if they're, you know, him returning there is so interesting. Obviously, he's he wants that big paycheck because uh, he ended up staying with them so he could get paid more. But it, I I agree with you, Alex. I am very surprised that he didn't explore going to the Lakers. I mean, it also brings up the question: Did Paul George want to play with LeBron? I mean, why wouldn't you? He says he wants to win championships. He wants to win a championship for his hometown team. I mean, those things go hand in hand. LeBron and championships, at least appearances to the championship. Um, Yeah, it was definitely interesting. Uh, Going back to the Thunder, I I get what you're saying. Like, they're like a four or five seed. They just don't have many other pieces outside of Westbrook, Mello, and uh, and PG. And Mello is a glorified, you know, shooter at this point. He's not nearly... 
I, I don't know if that's you know defense. his skill set diminishing or if that's just the role that they've put him in. But uh, yeah, I mean they, they need some pieces around them. But I mean they're obviously going to make the playoffs. Yeah, um, absolutely. I could see them losing in the first round again. That's definitely a possibility. I would hope just for their sake, all the money that they have invested in those big three, Dude, that they at least win one series. Uh, talk about luxury tax way problems. Over. The Thunder. Way, yeah. I, I think I saw an article recently saying that the Thunder could have the highest payroll this year because of Melo opting in. And that's for three guys. Uh, Essentially, it's three guys just holding down that cap. Literally. Wild. But the uh, other big power in the uh, West, the um, the Rockets, they ended up re-upping with Chris Paul, signed a four-year max contract, $160 million, $40 million a year. It's unbelievable. Seven the, more than LeBron. The, the NBA <laughs> money that's being thrown out, man. It, just the past couple years, ever since the new CBA signed and, you know, just crazy deals. I remember Del Vadova got like, you know, I mean, heck, J.J. Redick re-signed for $12 million this year yeah. uh, today with the six. Well, the NBA is just, Dude, they have so much money in such small rosters. The money's got to go somewhere. Unbelievable. But Rockets, uh, like I said, they returned their uh, main point guard. Now, Chris Paul, CP3, he is 33 years old. He has been injury prone over the past couple of years. He's a hell of a player when he plays. And I truly believe the Rockets would have won that series because they were up 3-2. And then Chris that Paul, Yeah, then Chris Paul went down at the end of Game 5. Can this team challenge Golden State again this year? Yes, I, I, absolutely. I mean, they've been the closest to knocking Golden State out of the Western Conference Finals than anyone has been. And again, it goes to Chris Paul's health. It, it all depends on how healthy Chris Paul is. 2017, he missed 58 games. 2016, he missed 61 games. So that's back-to-back years of 20-plus games that he missed due to injury. Yeah. And that's not even counting the playoffs. Yep. And like you said, that, that series shifted in Game 5. When he went down, he was not good at all. I mean, he was not he was a shell of himself. He couldn't even walk. Um, so, yeah, I, they, I think it's a smart move by Chris Paul to stay there because Absolutely. I don't think the Lakers were going to you know make the effort to go get him. Um, I don't really see any other fits in the West for, for Chris Paul. They, like... The Rockets need a point guard. They need somebody to, you know, divert attention from James Harden. And another year with those two working together, because uh, we said this in podcast past, in the playoffs, they have these two great scores, but they went ISO so many times. And Chris Paul is such a great facilitator. Yep. And they, they both just disappeared at times. And I, the, there's no explaining that. Yeah, and the Rockets, um, one of their big men, who is also apparently talking to the Lakers as well, restricted free agent Clint Capella. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a big deal if the Rockets can bring him back into the fold because that definitely would be a loss uh, losing that young well, big man. Now let me ask you this. where does What happens with Dwight Howard? Because he, he's a free agent. <laughs> Boogie, Boogie Cousins is a free agent. Oh, Neither of them are really anybody's favorite guy to be in a locker room with. But the talent is still there, obviously. Dwight, Boogie's obviously way more talented at this point. but. The, the, it's an option. The thing that's interesting about Dwight is, and there's been rumors that he might sign with the Warriors, because Dwight, he was scheduled to make, what, $25 million this year or something like that, and then the Nets bought out his deal. because the Nets Per his for, request. Yes, per his request. So he's still getting, you know, all that money or whatever, so he could sign for the minimum mm-hmm. and just go to a contender. And that's what Dwight wants right now. I mean, Dwight's never... Had a ring. This closest was when he went to the finals with the Magic. Yep. Um. That was back when he was Superman, dude. I loved Dwight Howard back in the day. I really did. And then he kind of turned into a bitch. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like, uh, dude, say that to he, his face, dude. He. <laughs> I mean, he was an unbelievable freakish athlete, big man. I mean, he would just dominate in the paint. Well, he was just it, so physical. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, people he, compared him to Shaq. I mean, obviously because uh, of the Magic comparisons yeah. i mean that goes hand in hand but Dude, just was, the physicality uh, and like his pure just dominance of people he, that's definitely gone away his defense has taken a, a few oh, steps down absolutely and he's still got a shot at the hall of fame and speaking of shots desk props round one all right so we're gonna take another week off of true desk pops we mentioned this in episode 20 when we did our top five favorite childhood cartoons and we said we were going to do our top five childhood we'll say live action shows does that make sense alex but yes is that is that okay so shows I'll, from our childhood that were not cartoons yes <laughs> yeah, there we go there yeah. we go spelling it out so i'll start first all right number five and i honestly forgot about this show until i i had to do some research because i was like I, I can think of a couple off the top of my head but 
I wanted to really get the right list, and I'm sure I did not accomplish that. But number five, <laughs> Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. That's a good one, Just man. a very under-the-radar show, I feel like. Coconut and Head. It probably lasted for, what, like four or five seasons, something like that. It lasted but long enough until I, they grew up. It really did, yeah, <laughs> until they were, yeah, outgrew it. By the way, did you know that Cookies... Has attempted to be a rapper now. No the way. The guy that played Cookies. No way. I swear, man. He has this. <laughs> one, he has this one where literally the hook is him laughing, and it's the most awkward laugh ever. It's like ah, ah, ha, ha, ha. It, if, we'll if, play it at the end of the podcast if, so people can hear it, so if, I don't sound like a maniac <laughs> making stuff up. It's real. Is a laugh. Uh, that's all. It's I need not to even hear. just a that's normal a, laugh. It's like ah, ha, ha, ha. It was like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> And, oh, and the video really is just and the video is is like so uh, low budget. It's literally they just drove out to a desert with a camera and a car and just stood in front of it with like smoke in front of them and recorded the laugh. It was uh, gotta love. It's it. quite a sight, man. Uh, it goes without saying that his rapping career has not taken off. That makes sense. Makes sense. What's your number five? Number five for me is Drake and Josh. I wanted to put it higher on this list. Way too low. I wanted to put it higher on this list, but the other four, I just I I couldn't do it. Just I mean, okay. maybe it's nostalgia. Okay. Drake and Josh was a little bit later on in my childhood. Okay, fair enough. Um, I mean, great show, nonetheless. Phenomenal show. Hug Another me, show brother! that's very quotable. One of the funniest quotes from that show is it was like a mailman or something coming to the door, and Josh opens the door. He's like, oh, thanks for the package. Have a nice day. And then the guy's like, don't tell me what to do. And then he walks <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> I like the one, um, what was it, when – uh, he's going on a date with this girl, and they're like, oh, yeah, we can go to the movies as a boyfriend and girlfriend. He's like, and I'll be the boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, obviously, dude. And honestly, Josh Peck, have you seen, like, he does, like, he's lines now. or whatever. Yeah, dude, but, oh, he lost so much weight from speaking the of Speaking of child actors that uh, pretend to be rappers, uh, Josh Peck played, no. played a, uh, an aspiring rapper in a movie. Uh, really? It, what was it called? I, I wish I could remember the name of it. We got to Google it at some point. Um but yeah, he he, he played a, a a awkward wannabe rapper in New York growing up in the '90s. It's pre, it's pretty interesting, <laughs> and he's got a sex scene in that movie too. Oh, nice! Spoiler alert! Very cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up. G- g- give me give me your number right, four. I'm number gonna look up four, what movie. It involves Megan from Drake and Josh, and that is iCarly, which is a damn good show. And I'm honestly surprised I had it only number four because it is just a phenomenal show, and the fact that Jeanette McCurdy is in it definitely adds to it. <laughs> That's love, weird that I you're like her. attracted to this girl when she was like 13. No, she was, okay. I keep in mind this. She was. I was. I was look. I looked this up back when Stretch and me were doing the O's broadcast. She was 21 in the last season. What? Something, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Because dude, because dude, the show was on for a while. How old was Miranda Cosgrove by the end of it? Because she I'm looks sure. like she's she's looked like she's been 15 yeah, for uh, 10 years. Yeah, yeah. She looked like the same age. I mean, I'm one to talk. Drake and Josh. <laughs> you know, at the end, of iCarly. But now I would assume they're probably around the same age. I'll Google that when you give me the number four. But yeah, dude, phenomenal show. Okay, phenomenal. fair enough. Uh, by the way, the movie with Josh Peck in it, where he's trying to be a rapper and he listens to Biggie the whole time, it's called The Wackness. It came out in 2006. I can't read. 2008. Uh, yeah, check it out, though. It's definitely pretty cringy and pretty funny. And it's, it's actually a good story, too. Uh, my number four is The Amanda Show. Uh, very I, quotable. I love the, very I love quotable the show. Uh, bring in the lobster, bring in the dancing lobsters, the, uh, Drake in his garage playing the guitar, just saying nonsense. Uh, so many quotable moments from that show. And, uh, it was really like right after all of that came out yes. and it was like the peak of like children's oh, yeah, nighttime dude. TV yes. where it was like prime time for yes. like kids to watch a show where it's a skit show. Like you didn't have skit shows before that, before all that. And to reference back to the age, Miranda Cosgrove is 25 right now, and I think it ended in 2013. So she was 20. Okay. Last year. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So. They look. They both look extremely young, so they cast them very well. I love Jeanette McCurdy. But number three, <laughs> all that, and it kind of leads in from you. It, it's just, obviously, SNL has been going on for years and years and years, and all that obviously started in the 90s, and it was just such a uh, – you know, it, it was SNL for kids. And, you know, exactly. a lot of the actors from all that ended up, you know, furthering their career in Nickelodeon or whatever. I mean, I think uh, uh, Drake Bell, Josh Peck, they were on it. Yep. Amanda was on it. Um, a uh, ton of names. Keenan and Kale were on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it all, yeah, 
their whole cast. I mean, they, a lot of people came from that show, and it was definitely very uh, um, dynamic in that regard. It's a solid number three. My number three is Keenan and Kel. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. I wanted to put it higher, yes. um, but I'll explain why on my other two picks. But uh, yeah, great, great show. Um, you know, who loves orange soda? Kel loves orange soda. <laughs> Just It was so goofy. Like, Kel yeah. was so dumb. I feel bad for Kel, man. Kel Mitchell... I thought he was the star of that show when yeah. I was a kid, and he's grown up, and he's like a, a D-list celebrity. He's yeah. like, Keenan is the longest-tenured yep. SNL person ever That's in the history amazing. of the show. He's been on SNL longer than anyone else. That's amazing. And like, just to compare the two careers of those two guys, you would think they were like on the same trajectory. I mean, Kel was amazing in Good Burger. Mm-hmm. Dude, Good Burger, <laughs> is, Good such Burger a is so good. <laughs> but anyways, uh, that's my number three. All right, number two, it was your, what, four? Drake and Josh. My number five, yeah. Jeez, God. Drake and Josh is great, man. Like, I, to me, that that's like the iconic, I don't know, show of my, ch- or really childhood show. It, it obviously doesn't surpass my number one, but I don't know if my number one was necessarily a design for kids. But, uh, dude, Drake and Josh, just great, great show. Fair enough. Uh, my number two is that 70s show. Um. Some people would say it's not a children's show, but I, I watched it when I was where, a child. That's where um, yeah. I completely did not understand the smoke scenes <laughs> at all. I just thought they were really goofy and they like lit some candles or something and they turned off the lights and then they got goofy. But I grew up and I figured out what those circles were about. Yep. But, you know, just a just Living a great show. It doesn't matter what episode you put on. You can like immediately just jump right in. Uh, you know, Kelso was a great character. Hyde was a great character. Anti-government. Foreman was relatable because I was kind of just, you know, kind of a dweeby kid at that point in my life. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a great show. And Donna was hot. Mila Kunis was super Mila hot. Kunis. Mila Kunis, did you know she was like 12 years old the first season? Like, yeah, she was didn't making she out lie with about like a, her age. I, I don't know if she I lied. She, I swear I, I saw she probably did. She lied about it because I think they were casting, I forget insert age here 16 year old or yeah whatever. yeah she's and making yeah. out with a 16 year old uh ashton kutcher and she's 12 <laughs> she was uh uh progressing fastly yeah if, if, nothing if wrong with that I, that show to me and i've seen so many random episodes that's another series that i'm just pissed off that i didn't like watch as it was happening or really because it gets to the stage and i know we've talked about this about other shows on this podcast where you know it, that show was on for so many seasons and so many episodes. I get intimidated, man. I get intimidated oh, to take on that big come of a on. project. I mean, the last two seasons you can like just throw away because they Not introduced good. that new guy. I think his name was Scott or something. Yeah. Some d bag with like long brown hair, yeah. trying to be you know a mix of Kelso and Foreman. It just yeah. I didn't I didn't like that. He was yeah. Donna's new boyfriend. Yeah. Spoiler alert: If nobody's watched that <laughs> seventy show, come on. Yeah. Uh, also, with that 70s show, when I was growing up, when that first came out, they noticed that it was popular, so they came out with that 80s show, and I guess not enough I time passed that. because that show did not work at all. I do remember that. And number one for me, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Just a great, great show. I love Will Smith. I love Will Smith mainly because of that, you know, a lot of his movies, but... It was just, you know, him and Carlton doing the dance. and Dude, you know, when Mr. he talks Phil. about his dad, yeah, Mr. That, 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 I was, that made me I was, cry. I was right about to bring that up. That's probably the most powerful and just raw emotion scene I think I've ever seen in just television. And really? On, honestly, Those are, that's big words. Honestly, dude. I, and granted, I guess I really haven't seen too much. Uh, you know, But I, I think... <laughs> I, seriously, dude, that's just like such a powerful scene there. And it's even sadder now that like, you know, Mr. Phil, I forget his name, is passed mm-hmm. away now uh, too young. But, you know, seeing that scene now, you see him and, you know, it makes it even more emotional. Yes, and it's absolutely. like, oh, man. All right. So uh, my number one is your number three, I think. Uh, it's all that. Um, it and is all that. and the reasoning is it's not even my favorite show out of all these five because it's probably the one I have the least memories from because I was the youngest when it was on because like all that and then it was Keenan and Kel and then you know Drake and Josh and the Amanda show um, but I pick all that as number one just because it was you know the start of all of it you wouldn't have the Amanda show you wouldn't have Drake and Josh you wouldn't have Keenan and Kel without all that those kids would have not been in I mean who am I to say that they wouldn't have become actors but they would have those shows would have never been created and all of those shows were directed and produced 
by the same guy. I think his name was um, Dan Schneider. Yes, that's his and, name. And uh, yeah. he's got his name all over everything on Nickelodeon, everything he made. Good Burger. He was a he was a star in, in Good Burger, actually. He was the manager. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all that was just the start of all these great TV shows, so I feel like that has to be number one. I agree. I I really like your list. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I think we had some disagreements over the cartoons, but I, I can't say I hate your list, Alex. What, we have a lot of the same ones. We uh, do. You have iCarly over the Amanda show, which <laughs> yeah. I have a problem with. Um, but you have... Fresh Prince in there, so that makes up for it. Yeah, there we go. They were so convincing in their argument, they swung me. <laughs> All right, well, now we'll do our position preview for the Baltimore Ravens. And as I said in the open, we'll focus more on the wide receivers and tight ends in this episode. And we'll start with the wide receiver core. Ozzie Newsom, he said that he would leave no stone unturned picking uh this new these new receivers and he did not the Ravens were extremely active Jeremy Macklin gone Mike Wallace gone Michael Campanero gone they brought in three veteran receivers obviously the headliner of the group is Michael Crabtree now Michael Crabtree is by far and away the veteran of the uh receiving core he's the only receiver over the age of 30 I think he might be the only one over the age of 26 it's a relatively inexperienced receiving core but they do you know have some form of track record Michael Crabtree having the most extensive one now he is coming off a down season have 58 catches for 618 yards and eight touchdowns with the uh, Raiders last year I think he's gonna have a bounce back here I do not expect any wide receiver or tight end for that matter uh, to go over a thousand I think Crabtree's like an 850, 800-yard receiving guy. If he could get eight touchdowns again, that would be monstrous, but I expect that to come down a little bit, maybe to six. Um, but Crabtree, he's the veteran that the Ravens always bring in. He was cut by the Raiders after the Raiders brought in Jordy Nelson. He's got that attitude like a Steve Smith, an Anquan Bolden, a Derek Mason and I think he's going to fit in nicely. Yeah, I think he brings stability to that locker room, uh, especially with Willie Sneed and John Brown, since they're new to that receivers room as well. Uh, I've only been to like you know two OTA practices. That's two more than me. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, the two that I was at, Willie Sneed and Michael Crabtree were attached at the hip. It didn't matter what drill they were doing, you know, where they were on the sidelines. If they weren't on the field together, they were standing next to each other, talking to each other. So at the very least, Michael Crabtree brings some veteran leadership to some guys that are coming off down years, like John Brown and Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed has had success, but he had the DUI and kind of just got benched the last year. John Brown, he's always suffered with injuries. So I think Crabtree can help, you know, let them figure out like what it is to be an NFL receiver because Crabtree has certainly had his own struggles with injuries yeah. and down seasons and everything. And I agree with you uh, as far as the red zone target. He is a, their red zone target. He is the, the jump ball guy. If there's anybody on this team that is the jump ball guy for them, it, it is Michael Crabtree. I don't think he's going to get to eight touchdowns. No. He's, he's had at least eight in each of the past three years. Um, I think it's, cl- like you said, like closer to like five to eight. I think eight is probably the max. But... At the very least, he's just another option for them in the red zone and yeah. someone that the other team has to take account, you know, has to account for. And you mentioned John Brown. John Brown was the other uh, free agent that they signed through as an unrestricted free agent. Willie Sneed was a restricted guy. John Brown is interesting to me. He is the classic boom or bust guy, in my opinion. Now, they only signed him to a one-year contract, so no harm, no foul. If he ends up getting hurt, staying hurt, being ineffective, it's not going to hurt the Ravens long-term. But the Ravens' big goal this year is to bring back the deep passing game. And you were at those two practices. Vinny, he's been at pretty much every single one. And he said that the Ravens have been bombs away at practice. And John Brown, to me, is... Really, the Ravens' only deep threat. I mean, yeah, you could say Chris Moore, Jordan Lastly averaged over 18 yards a catch at UCLA, but how much are you going to count on a rookie with inconsistent hands? And Chris Moore Can't has count inconsistent on hands. Uh, screw Perryman. <laughs> but um, John Brown, 2015 was his career year. Had over 1,000 yards, seven touchdowns, and 15 and a half yards of reception. But I'm just skeptical. The guy's already been hurt. He's already missed out on some practices. 
you know, the Ravens, they've posted a couple of uh, deep balls that Joe's thrown to him. But this guy is a key to get the uh, um, deep, deep passing game back in sync. Yeah, I mean, like you said, John Brown has struggled with injuries. I made the bet last year, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast yeah, at yeah. least once or twice, <laughs> yeah. uh, that Jerron Brown would yep. have more fantasy yep. points than John I Brown. I won the bet, uh, so in your face, Matt. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, John Brown, he is, like you said, the only guy that is really a threat to go deep. Now, Crabtree, he actually has a lot of catches over uh, 20 yards. He does a lot of his work outside yeah, of the numbers. He's not really the guy to go across the middle, even though that's kind of what people a lot of the times paint him to be. But, uh, yeah, it depends on John Brown's health, obviously. Um, they had concerns about a spinal issue with him at the end of last year. Um, but they said that was a sickle cell trait that caused that pain yep. in his back. And uh, obviously he's not going to be up in Denver like he was. Uh, you know, they had, they had to play Denver a couple years ago. AFC North, you're not really going to have that many like altitude problems because I know if you have high altitude, it kind of yep. messes with the sickle cell traits. I'm no expert on that. But, uh, but he still has had a problem with his legs. It's been hamstring and calf injuries besides his sickle cell traits that have held him out of most of these games. So it all comes down to how healthy he is. I do think they will take as many chances as they can to get him the ball because that's what they all, they've always done. They've always had at least one guy that just will run a go route. I mean, you had Torrey Smith. They tried it with Brashad Perriman. Um, John Brown is that next mold for them. And next to Willie Sneed, they signed him away from the New Orleans Saints as a restricted free agent, gave him a two-year, $7 million deal. And I've said many, many, many times on this podcast, I think he's the underrated signing of the offseason. I really expect him to have, I think, at least 60 catches, maybe more. I I, think 60, 65, 70, probably tops. But I'm expecting a lot out of him, obviously, if he stays healthy. Last year was really his only injury issue uh, season. He had a hamstring issue. And then, as you said, Alex, he had the DUI and was relatively ineffective and out of the offense by that point. But, you know, his two prior years, 2015 and 2016, he had 141 catches for close to 1,900 yards. He had almost a 70% catch rate. I mean, that's really strong. And he was the go-to guy for Drew Brees. So I, I... This is a guy that's going to really help Joe Flacco on third downs. He's a shifty guy. You know, if it's third and seven, you're looking for Willie Sneed or you're looking for one of the tight ends that we're going to get into uh, a little later on. I just, I really liked Willie Sneed when he was in New Orleans, and I think that he will do very well here. Yeah, he's a good fit. I've been saying that along with you since they signed him. Who loves checkdowns? Joe Flacco loves checkdowns. <laughs> yes. He does, he does, he does. <laughs> Going back to the Keenan and Cal. Uh, Willie Sneed is, you know, a, your prototypical slot receiver. He's 5'11, 195. So he's not extremely tall, but he's not, you know, 179 like John Brown, who's just a, a baby. If, if he catches the ball in traffic, he's going to get lit up. Willie Sneed can take the punishment. Willie Sneed is a proven route runner as well. I mean, Drew Brees, if anybody would know who's a good route runner, and he's been on the record saying that Willie Sneed was their best route runner. I mean, that was back when Michael Thomas was a rookie, and he was praising Willie Sneed. So that that tells you something about Sneed. He seems hungry. I was at his press conference when he got announced as a Raven. He seems very genuine about he wants to put in the work. He wants to learn from guys like Crabtree. He wants to work with Joe Flacco in the offseason, which Flacco has mentioned he's going to work with his new receivers in the offseason. Uh, he just he every he checks all the boxes. He doesn't seem like a guy that's going to be a repeat offender. It's not like I know him personally, but just seeing him and how he acts around you know the media and other players, he doesn't seem like a knucklehead that's going to go out and get himself in trouble again with the DUI. I think he's learned his lesson from that. Uh, so it all just comes down to implementing him into this offense because I think he will be, like you said, the third down option. Third and short, Willie Sneed on a crossing route, Willie Sneed on a little out route, Willie Sneed on a hook. I mean, they could do a lot of things with him. Even with Lamar Jackson in the red zone, I could see Willie Sneed in the backfield with Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco just to mix it up because you have all that speed back there. You don't know who's going to get the ball. I, I completely agree, and I think he's motivated. I think he's humbled. You know, you you mentioned it, Alex. He seems like he's driven. This is a guy, he's still very, very young. 25. Uh, he's entering his fourth year, you know, in the NFL. So I'm, I'm expecting big things at a Willie Sneed. Uh, Chris Moore. Everyone's been raving about Chris Moore this offseason. You know, I, 
He came on a little strong at the end of last year, ended up finishing, obviously, with very, very modest numbers at best, 248 yards receiving three touchdowns. But a lot of that done in the second half. You know, Chris Moore, he came out of Cincinnati a couple years ago in 2016. He's always been a really strong special teams player. But now he might actually get some time at at receiver and maybe some extended time because you got to remember, if John Brown gets hurt, Chris Moore is really their only deep ball guy that they have outside of maybe lastly. So I'm I'm very interested to see how he does. I've always liked Chris Moore, and I think he's a guy. You need Chris Moore's on your football team. You know, a guy that does a lot of the gritty work on special teams and, you know, performs really well. And he can also give you a little bit on offense. So I'm interested to see how his role expands. The big knock on him last year was drops. Um, we've heard that a lot in Baltimore. But Especially the Bengals game. That was the yes, most crucial one. Yes, But even in that game, man, you know, he had the the long kickoff return and then the touchdown the very next play. I mean, in, I don't know. I'm, I'm just very interested in seeing how he performs this year, his third season. Yeah, he's going to be he's going to be fighting for that fourth receiver spot. He's going to have to fight with Jaleel Scott and Jordan Lasley and maybe Tim White. They've been yeah. hyping up Tim White a yeah. lot, especially in special teams. I've seen them work Tim White and uh, and Jordan Lasley as uh, punt returner and kick returner. Mm-hmm. So they value special teams a lot, Absolutely. a lot more than most teams because obviously you have the head coach who is a special teams coach and the assistant head coach who is the special teams coach. So I think you know he's got to prove that he he has proven that he is good on special teams, and that's the whole reason he got playing time last year. But he's got some new competition now, so I'm not I'm not willing to say that he's earned that fourth spot yet. He's got to prove that he's got he can catch the ball. And I don't think you know the deep thing as far as like you know if John Brown goes down, I don't think that weighs that much on their mind as far as where to place him on the depth chart. Um, probably not. But it, he will get more play time just because he is. Really, they're only... He's paid his dues, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's typically absolutely. how things work. You earn the trust from the coaches. And guys that are going to, you know, in the process of paying their dues, you brought them up. Jaleel Scott and Jordan Lasley, I'm not expecting much out of this rookie duo um, at receiver. I I don't... I th- it seems like Lasley has the most upside heading heading into his rookie year. Apparently, he's had a really good rapport with Lamar Jackson. Um, but again, a guy drops have plagued him. It, he he was a you know a top talent in the uh, draft. He was probably expected to go middle rounds, you know, third round, maybe high fourth round. Ended up going in the middle of the fifth round to the Ravens because he had off the field stuff. He was suspended a couple games last year for UCLA, but he put up very good numbers in limited action. And uh, Jaleel Scott, obviously everyone remembers him for the insane catch, uh, yeah. touchdown catch rate, you know. One-handed. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see how these guys develop. But the receiver core as a whole, I think on paper, it's better than it was last year. Oh, by far. But I'm still skeptical because you got your top three receivers are all coming off very down seasons you're hoping for them that if they all revert to their prior form this could be a damn good receiving core and they stay health healthy and you know if chris moore takes the next step and maybe lastly proves the bright lights aren't you know too bright for him and maybe tim white contributes to you know a lot of ifs though that's the thing i think it's better but i still have my questions yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, more of my questions are how does Marty cater to the the new skill in his offense? Because the knock on Marty Morningwake for the past two years is run the damn ball, run the damn ball, run the damn ball, and he's just throwing 50 times a game. It, t- <laughs> it took an entire year for yep. them to commit to the running game, and they finally committed to the running game last year. And now with all these new pieces, with the new receivers, the new tight ends, Lamar Jackson, how does that impact the offense as a whole? Because I think a lot of the success of these receivers depends on if they're putting them in the right positions to succeed. If you're running John Brown, you know, slant routes across the middle, he's not going to have success. He's going to get hurt instantly. If you're sending Willie Sneed deep on routes, I mean, I've seen him catch some deep routes before, but that's not usually where he gets his work in. If you're making Michael Crabtree 
run go routes and you're trying to hit him in stride it's not <laughs> yeah. going to work so yeah. it's all about putting these guys in a position to succeed and doing the things that they do well uh the rookies like you said are a little concerning i really like jaleel scott i think i'm higher on jaleel scott than jordan lasley okay. lasley has the speed and they do say he's the more polished runner but jaleel scott just kind of, he has that it factor yeah um just watching him i mean he's six five he's a big big target he's got good hands he just has to work on his route running and separation because that's, you know, I'm no expert. I'm no coach or anything, but I, I've been to a few practices and watching him, he makes tough catches, but he has to make the tough catches because he gets no separation. <laughs> a group that I'm very excited about the potential is the tight end group. The Ravens injected a lot of uh, youth in there, drafted Hayden Hurst with the 25th uh, overall pick and then came back, drafted Mark Andrews in the third round. I'm very, very excited to see how this duo will develop. And maybe not just for this year, but I'm talking two years down the road, three years down the road, because I really like Hayden Hurst. He's probably the more complete guy out of uh, the two of them. Mark Andrews, a big body guy, but can run. Kind of like uh, Dennis Pitta. He ended up winning the uh, John Mackey Award for a uh, top tight end in the uh collegiate ranks last year had 958 yards receiving and eight touchdowns had over 15 yards a catch uh for a tight end which is really impressive but Hayden Hurst we talked about a couple guys in the receiving core that have bad hands Hayden Hurst does not drop the football he had one drop in his college career but Marty Morningwig talked about something that the two tight ends could improve upon both of them have had an excellent camp. Both of those players are just a little bit different. However, both of them needed work in line. And so we've got as, 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 as much as we could do in line, of course, without pads and, and that, the, the, the alignment, the assignment, <laughs> the, the communication part, and especially the technique part. And then our pass game, they got thrown right into that, and both of them have done just an excellent job that way. The good thing about that is you still have Nick Boyle, who is known predominantly as a blocking tight end. He is the veteran of the group, which is kind of funny saying because he's only a fourth-year player. But I, I think Hayden Hurst, obviously you can improve upon it, but the knock on him was his age. You know, I said they were ejecting some youth, but Hurst, he will turn 25 before the season starts. But I almost think that's a good thing in this case. Tight ends and wide receivers, it's kind of, it takes a little longer to develop for them. And him coming in is literally a grown-ass man, you know, <laughs> and, and he's, you know, physically and everything. I think he's going to be ready to contribute right away, and he's going to start from day one. Yeah, I completely agree. Hayden Hurst looks the part. Uh, dude's in great shape. I mean, he's bigger than most guys on the on the field, including linebackers. Uh, like you said, he does have the professional sporting experience. He was a pitcher in the minor leagues, uh, drafted uh, in the major leagues, but never made it out of the minors. But he knows, you know, the the grind of playing in professional sports and, you know, how to manage your time and keep yourself out of trouble. I think those are all things that, as rookies, you don't you think you know you know, what you're doing, but you really don't know. And you don't know how to handle yourself in certain situations. So I think that does help him. Um, like you said, he's got great hands. Um, I think he he will be a better blocker than Mark Andrews, just purely yeah. on, like, you know, their build and strength. Um, Mark Andrews is interesting, though, because, like you said, he, he's drawn a lot of comparisons to Dennis Pitta. And he isn't the best route runner. I mean, he, he's it's not that he's not a bad route runner. It's just he knows where to find the soft spots yeah. in the zones and yeah. stuff. And that's something you really can't teach. It's more just instinct. instinct. And I think that translates instantly to the NFL. And they're both going to be in two tight end situations a lot in the red zone. And with Lamar Jackson throwing that in that whole wrench into the situation, they've got a lot of options that defenses need to keep an eye on. That's exactly what I was going to get into next, Alex, is two tight end sets with these two guys could be really special. And like I said, maybe not this year. Because that's asking a lot, but I'm talking two years from now mm -hmm. when they continue to develop and continue to develop rapport with probably Lamar Jackson at that time. But with Joe in the time being, as the season goes on, I expect these two guys to play big, big roles on this offense. And I just think there's a high ceiling for this tight end group, you know, for the two of them. Because obviously they're both drafted together. They're both under contract for the next four years. I just think they can grow a lot, and it could be a special uh, situation with both of them. I think they combined for 10 touchdowns total. Um, I can I, see it. Yeah. Uh, just like with Willie Sneed, Joe Flacco loves to throw those little short routes. 
Flacco loves his tight ends. Loves doesn't matter if it's ends. long, short, doesn't matter, red zone, not in the red zone. He loves the tight ends. And you have two tight ends that are, you know, viable options in the offense. Because before this, who'd they have? Nick Boyle? Ben Watson. Ben Watson, a 37-year-old tight end. <laughs> uh, Darren Waller, who can't, you know, get on the field because he yeah. keeps getting PED suspensions or yes. for the weed or whatever it was. I can't even keep track of how many times he's been suspended. Yeah. So he finally has two guys that should be there. They don't have any injury concerns. And they, as far as I know, don't have any off-the-field concerns. So they should be, you know, fit right into that offense. And uh, real quickly, we talked about Boyle. He's still going to have a role on this team, absolutely. But... Max Williams. We kind of left out uh, Perryman, and I did, you know, on purpose. Because what more can <laughs> I you say? I, I think the guy's going to get cut. But me too. You could potentially cut your first and second round picks in the same offseason from the 2015 draft. Ouch. Does Max Williams make this team? Do they keep four tight ends? No. Because Max I Williams, tend to agree. I, I can't tell you what Max Williams does because he was supposed to be a receiving tight end. Yeah, but he's too damn slow. Yeah, and he doesn't exactly catch every ball thrown to him. Uh, most of the times, I see Max Williams make a play on the field. It's a tight end flat. He catches it for two yards, <laughs> runs three yards, and then he's five yards short of the first down. <laughs> I mean, like we he just seen that a lot. Have we? He hasn't shown me like anything, man. He hasn't shown me any red zone presence. Um, He's not, you know, their best blocker. Nick Boyle's their best blocker as yeah. a tight end. So yeah. there's not really a reason to keep him besides he was a, a first-round pick or a first- and second-round pick. No, I, I completely agree <clears throat> with you. I, I just find it very fascinating that they could cut their first- and second-round picks from 15. Hey, man, you got to cut your That's, losses. That, uh, no, I agree. I knock the I Orioles agree. all the time. They seem like they're scared to admit they're wrong. At least the Ravens seem like they're, you know— Willing to admit that they were wrong. I, I agree. And what's really going to be interesting about Perryman, and Grant, the Ravens, they do have cap space. They don't need to cut Perryman, but he has that $650,000 roster bonus the third day of training camp, I believe. But now it's almost seeming like they're going to let him compete and uh, stay in training camp. For now. They don't, they don't need the money. They have enough money to yeah. head into the season. Well, another reason that I think that – Prashad Perriman probably will get cut along with Max Williams is they usually don't carry three quarterbacks, but with Joe Flacco, Lamar Jackson, and RG3 behind them, you don't really have any security as far as, you know, injury risk with guys that are built like Lamar Jackson and RG3. I think this is one of the years that they finally hold three quarterbacks on their depth chart, and that might mean sacrificing a Max Williams or sacrificing a Prashad Perriman to create that space. I think Perriman's gone regardless. I think he's gone regardless because you got... Your four are set, you know, with Moore, Sneed, Crabtree, Brown. I would tend to think both of your draft picks are set. Yep. That's six right there. Right. And if you carry seven, that's a lot. But even that seventh might go to Tim White because he can return. Well, and you got John Brown, the injury injury problem. So you have to almost keep that many. And as far as keeping three quarterbacks, that's going to be interesting because I think we won't know that till. Honestly, probably the third or fourth preseason game. It's going to have to depend on how Lamar Jackson does. And we'll get into this probably next week when we do another position breakdown. But I think RG3, he holds a valuable mentor role with with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson said on a podcast a couple weeks ago, he never never learned how to slide. He's never slid before. And if there's anybody to teach him how to slide and, you know, the consequences of not sliding, it's RG3. (laughs) I, I completely agree. But, Alex, I will say this. Keeping Brashad Perryman would definitely make me say what the fuck. What the hell's going on out here? A really sad situation in Seattle. The Legion of Boom, it's definitely uh, gone. Uh, Michael Bennett was gone this offseason. Richard Sherman is gone. Who knows what's going to happen to Earl Thomas. Well, Cam Chancellor, he pretty much announced his retirement yesterday. And it's very sad. This is a guy that had had a neck injury last year, and apparently he just underwent some more tests, and they showed that there has been no healing. And Chancellor, he kind of went on to say that doctors were saying that he had a chance at paralysis if he kept playing, and, you know, he he kept saying, I, I play through all types of injuries, but this is something that I can't swallow. I always wanted to play until the wheels come off, but, you know, now is the time. And it's, it's very sad because this is a guy that's still 
pretty much in the prime of his career. He just signed a uh, contract extension last year with them. He's made Pro Bowls. I mean, you want to talk about boom. Camp Chancellor can lower the boom on people. And I really... Seattle is going to be a very interesting team just from the amount of change that they have undergone this offseason. And that's a big loss, losing Cam Chancellor. If you potentially lose Earl Thomas, too, I'd like because Thomas, he sat out of mandatory minicamp. Maybe they trade him. Maybe they cut him. Who knows? I mean, if you lose Cam, Earl, and Richard all in one offseason, three-quarters of your secondary, Wow. I mean, that's a gut punch. And they got no offensive line. I know, I know. And it's it's going to be a very fascinating team to watch because it's kind of an end of an era, really. I I think the defense, it's probably still going to be solid. But I, I'd be stunned if they're a top five unit again. Yeah. Maybe even top yeah. ten, I'd be pretty surprised. I, I don't know, man. It, it's... Well, Cliff Averill uh, might not come back either. It, it, yeah, it, it's really sad seeing career-ending injuries like this, and especially to guys that still have time left to give to the game. Absolutely. Uh, my what-the-f*** moment goes to uh, the FIBA World Cup qualifying match between the Philippines and Australia. Did you see this, Tim? The, no. the The basket brawl? The basket brawl? You didn't see this? No. It was a huge fight in a, uh, a FIBA World Cup qualifier game over the weekend. It was the Philippines versus Australia. Australia was leading, like, 79 to 48 at the point of this, you know, them just going off. Uh, so I don't really know what happened preceding this fight, but uh, I retweeted the video on uh, my Twitter page at AlexW1057, shameless plug. Um, but it's wild, man, because like they just start fighting and Thon Maker is running around like throwing like high knee kicks and he's jumping and trying to hit people with like super kicks. He's missing. He's like <laughs> running back and forth. There's guys trying to stop him while he's running back and forth. Um, Andre Blotch throws a full-on like wrestling-style clothesline at a guy's head, knocks him to the ground. Uh, you think the fight's broken up, and then there's another fight behind the basket, off the court, with more players. Jesus. All the coaches, all the assistants, everybody's on the court. Uh, you think it's over, and the guy, tur- one of the guys, turns around, and one of the, I think it was a Filipino player, he picked up a chair, and not like a steel chair. Like a like a chair like this like I'm a whole like this like stool type chair and throws it at the guy's head. Oh my god! Like as soon as the guy this turns around, WWE? he throws the chair at the guy's head. The guy turns around like, "What the hell, man?" And the guy that threw the chair looked away like he didn't throw it. <laughs> That's my favorite oh, part of it. About, it was the, it's the most wild ba- fight in basketball I've seen since the Malice in the Palace with Ron Artest in 2004. I mean, peace. this is just pure anarchy with this fight they just went way off the rails i think like 13 players got ejected total the philippines play the rest of the, the philippines game? had to finish the game with three players no way I mean, they were down 40 so it didn't really matter yeah, but yeah. that's <laughs> it hilarious was, it was wild man you got to check it out dude you got to see the I, video i will absolutely do that when we're done here which is right now Oh, is this it? This is it, this dude. Is cookies. <laughs> this is cookies from Ned C. Classified. Completely serious, too. This is not meant to be a joke when he made this. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break. Alex Woodward, you're going to the West Coast next week. Yes, sir. Which, Oregon. Which I'm, I'm I am excited. Very excited for you. I'm very excited to hear your crazy tales, I'm sure. You will embark on over, what is it, 10 days? Yep. We're going on the Oregon Trail, baby. Oh, that's going to be sick. Not really. <laughs> 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 but next time we talk, we're going to break down running backs and offensive line. And hopefully we're going to be talking about an Orioles trade by then. But right now, I'm Tim Barblace with Alex Wilbur. We're laughing now until next time. <laughs>